This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Black ball. Black, black, black ball. Black, 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 black ball. Black, 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 black ball. What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed. When I go on Twitter in the morning, I often make a stop at this man's Twitter page. And at first, I couldn't really explain what the lure was when I, I, when I read this man's tweets. And then it hit me one day. He is a specialist in summoning up nostalgia, and especially as it pertains to music and entertainment. Even his meme game is tight. And I don't know... Uh, if if he searches for these or if he makes them himself. But I saw this one today. And uh, before I introduce him, I'm just going to put this up on the screen. And the meme says, sometimes it's not the song that makes you emotional. It's the people and things that come to mind when you hear it. And I couldn't agree more. Nostalgia music is probably one of the greatest uh, non-genre genres of music that there is. And I can't wait to talk to this guy. He's, uh, he's again, he's a social media guru as described by, I think, Billboard and the National Post. But he's also a professional music public relations guy. And his name is Eric Alper. Eric, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Matt. How are you? I'm doing well. You, you um, kind of nailed it with the nostalgia thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Tell me about that because I can't tell. What's great about your Twitter feed is that sometimes I can't tell if you're if you're doing it for business purposes or for personal reasons. And then I think to myself, maybe they're just so well done in the sense that they're, they intermingle with each other, that it becomes this one thing. I'll tell you that I, I post on social media, the exact same things in the exact same way as when I did, when I had zero followers. And this is going back to the MySpace days. Um, I, I never saw it anything more than purging my brain with useless trivia and stuff I find and things I read and just sharing it. Um, I, I always hated the whole um, space that Facebook used to have where it was like, Eric is... Yeah. And then it was like, who cares? Who cares what, what I have to do or what I have to say? Um, but music is something that we can all thoroughly enjoy. And that that meme that you posted um, kind of sums it really all up for me. Is that music is never really about music. Music is about the stories um, uh, that these artists are writing and recording these songs in complete isolation away from their audience. And then four months later, they get to go perform it on stage in front of 50,000 people all singing back those lyrics. And, you know, you've got to have something exciting to say. You have to, you can't be boring. And so music, and especially the nostalgia part, it's because I'm old. 
I mean, you know, I'll still post about, um, you know, what's going on in K-pop and I still post about what's going on on the Billboard Hot 100 every week. And I know that one one hundredth of my audience has no idea what I'm talking about or care. Um, but it, it doesn't it doesn't even it's it doesn't matter to me because I, I just do it because it's fun and uh and you know keeps my wife happy so I don't bug her with all this stuff that I find online. That's like the most important aspect of that. <laughs> it, 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 it's the only aspect of it yeah. all. Yeah. No, but don't you really I mean there's no there's no game to it. There's no um that's why it's effective, probably you know? though. You know, like it's it. You know, when 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 social well, media not first came anything. out, that's yeah. the thing. Is it, I, look, I, I've gotten a couple of clients on the PR side, but if I stunk doing PR, nobody would come to 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 me doing work with them just because I have a lot of followers. You know, yeah. like you know, at the end of the day, it it's all it's all fun and games, and and you know, I get a lot of I get a lot of direct messages from people saying that you know. It's one of the first thing that they look at, and it's one of the last thing that they look at, and it's a it's a really nice break from all the political stuff that's going on because it's a cesspool of hate and anger for the most part. And um, you know, I never go negative with anything. I don't talk politics. I just I just kind of want to you know use social media for good. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because that's the way it was intended. At least that's what we were told. We were told that social media was a place where you could have a page that was you and you could be yourself. And then something happened to social media where it became, and I guess, you know, now we realize that the algorithms are basically designed to make people fight, you know, and it, and it makes people step out of No, no, that's, become... that's, a by, that's a byproduct of it. What it's designed to do is to make money for those platforms. Right. Solely, completely, fully. If, if the platform is free, we're the ones that are being sold. And so I, okay. I, you know, when I hit up uh, up against the algorithm, because I know that I'll be lucky if one percent of my audience sees anything, it, it's it's not because of anything other than Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Twitch. They all want you to spend money. The byproduct is is that we all hate one another in real life, and we can't get along. But we get to see it in front of us, and we think it's a lot bigger than it actually is. Do you think that? Um... Because I do, I do look at your Twitter page with my morning coffee. I, I really do. But do you think that the the average person even realizes that they're becoming this awful version of themselves online? Oh no, that, no, I eh? no. Do you? I, well, I do because I, I I live in this space and I I've, yeah. I've analyzed it to the point where, listen, I used to be one of those dudes that um, I'd crack my knuckles and be like, let's fight. Let's fight about politics. Let's do it. And it wasn't yeah. because I even planted a flag. I was even in a worse position because I'm a person who's apolitical. I might lean left on certain things. I might lean right on certain things. And so you can't really pin me down with an ideology. And so I would just fight everybody. <laughs> right. It, right. You know? <laughs> Mr. Macho Man over here. Um, yeah. When you, in the beginning of the internet, the one of the great things about it was is that you can go on anonymously and, and post a fake name Um. And that worked. Um, that worked for a good couple of years until uh, the marketing departments at all of these major corporations realized that there's data to sell, and so they wanted your real name. Um, and the reason why I say no, I don't believe that people even realize that they're um, that they're fighting or that they're being bought and sold, is because I I I think that if it was 
if most people knew that, I think that they would all just leave because we all know that social media is incredibly harmful for our mental health and physical health and our marriage and our kids and especially girls um, or anybody in the LGBTQIA community or Black Lives Matter or anybody else. Um, you post anything and you're bound to get a lot of hate right back at you. So that's kind of why, and maybe I'm just cynical that way sometimes is I, I just, I, I wouldn't put it past anybody that they, they think that they truly have a, a voice and most people do, but it's a very, it's a very small segment of the population that are on these social media networks that are, that are having the most impact. Um, and it's not necessarily the sheer amount of posts because I certainly post a lot um, more than my fair share than the average person, but I don't, am I, you know, am I changing anything? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I know I changing my life because there goes an hour and a half every day where I set up all my posts. <laughs> but, but you have such a good mind. Like you have a mind of a writer. I can tell that you're a writer. I, I don't know this for sure, but I feel like you are because the economy of words idea, you have gotten down to a T like you, you have struck me sometimes where it's like, what was the, and I'm paraphrasing, right? And yeah. I, I was going to honestly clip a whole bunch of your tweets and put them up, but I thought it would be more interesting just to talk about them instead because even though I don't remember the exact wording of this tweet, it yeah. was something like, what was the first song you remember crying to after a breakup? Something like that. Right, right. It was like a, over a year ago when you tweeted something like that. And I was like, fucking it might have affected mode. you a lot because you still remember that <laughs> from all it this time. It was Depeche Mode. Do you cry a lot, I, James? I, I don't want to answer that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I, 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 I I learned, I told this on, to somebody else on a podcast about how I have actually since my since my kids were born and especially my daughter and it's not like I love her more but daddies and daughters have a weird like kind of connection or whatever sure. where um I was listening to an actor talk on the uh, actor studio with that other brilliant host that has the economy of words thing down packed his yeah. questions are like six words long and they're the best questions right right and um. And he, they were, someone was on there talking about how uh, finding your truth when you're trying to do a sad scene and that they would picture or imagine the most heinous thing sometimes to their family. I can cry in like two, I, I, I can't seem to like, and actually I've never tried to do it in front of people, but if I walked out of my back deck right now and, and lit a joint and sat there and I, I could, I could well up with like these gigantic tears in like sure. five seconds. Because I picture the saddest thing in the world and I can't even like tell you what it is because I might start crying now. But like, would you know, losing a family member or something like that, yeah. I can bring myself there in no time flat. Um, you know, and and so when you tweeted that thing about uh, I immediately not only did I remember that it was somebody by Depeche Mode and I was getting over. Oh, see, I don't remember the girl's name. I remember the song that made me cry. Right. You, name was right. You, you remember where you bought vinyl records, but you don't remember your first download. Right. Right. Yeah. The yeah, mind yeah, exactly. is weird like that. Exactly. Um, and, and I remembered, uh, you know, somebody coming on and it was the live version. Yeah. And I was just like, I listened to that song over and over and over again for like weeks until I got the Wendy virus out of my system. And then I moved on and cried about another girl six months later or something. But, <laughs> but your ability to sort of bring us back there. I, I want to ask you then, where did this come from? Like you like a Cameron Crowe Cameron Crow kind of guy where you have um, been able to, uh, you know, uh, establish a career based out of like a passion that was with you since you were like 10. Is that oh, yeah. sort of what we're looking at? 
Oh, ab absolutely. Um, uh, I went to go see a movie called American Hot Wax when I was eight years old. Um, we were up at the cottage, my parents and I and my sister, and they went to go see another film. And I went to go see American Hot Wax because I, I, I probably had no idea what the other film was. And it told the story of the DJ Alan Freed from Cleveland, who kind of coined the term rock and roll. But he, he kind of led this whole rock and roll revolution and had, um, you know, the first rock concert in Cleveland, Ohio. And and up there. I, and so it was like a it was like a docudrama but i know that there, movie jay right, leno okay, was so in that movie yeah. jay leno was in that movie and and tim mcintyre played alan freed and at the end of that it kind of cumulates into this rock and roll concert and up there on the screen was the real life chuck berry and jerry lee lewis and those were my star wars characters they were the world that hit me squarely in the head. I had no idea what had happened, um, but I walked out of there thinking, I have no idea what I just saw, but I love it. And the older I get, the more that I can kind of connect it to some of the artists that I work with who saw A Hard Day's Night by the Beatles or yeah. the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show or, you know, going to Woodstock and then changing their lives. Um, it, it really did. And my, uh, my grandfather had the bar um, in Toronto called Grossman's Tavern. And as a oh. kid, I remember going down there, but not, not hitting me in the way of like, I want to surround myself with music. I just knew that this was a really fun thing. It was a community-based thing. I saw all different ethnic groups and backgrounds and religions and, and um, uh, race and, and, and um, um, just, you know, rich people and, and, and people that were okay um, money wise. And I just saw the music was something that brought people together. Cause that's what Grossman Tavern was. It was Dude, Grossman's was awesome. I lived, yeah. I lived on Spadana circle for a bunch of okay, years. Okay. Perfect. So, you know, it and people I used to go down there with a buddy and watch caution jam all the time. See, that's probably yeah. where you and I first met. Cause I actually did the BR for caution jam back in the day of like, for the, those who don't know, caution jam is a grateful dead tribute. Band. Yeah. And right. They're, dope. they're so right. Yeah. So, um, when I was 12, I got a subscription to Billboard magazine um, for my birthday because I wanted it. And um, it wasn't just about memorizing the charts. I wasn't a geek like that. I, I wasn't I wasn't memorizing producers or anything like that. But I was reading the stories behind the songs. I was reading what does a manager do? Why did this happen? What What's going on in like Arkansas that is so different than New York? Um and I found it fascinating. And so I know I was one of the lucky ones that I found my passion really, really early on. And I was just a matter of figuring out how to get into this world. And it was a lot of, um, a lot of volunteering, a lot of, you know, working for small independent artists in the beginning um, of the, my career who had no right to have a bubble assist, but I was cheap enough um, that they could afford me. And we both made our mistakes really early on and just kind of got a little bit better and a little bit bigger and a little bit better. And, uh, uh, and, and here I am. So I found the passion really, really, um, really early. And I guess it's kind of like, you know, I met some people who have had a similar experience when they're watching star Wars and then they end up working in science or technology, or I met somebody who worked at NASA and it was like their whole dream was because they saw, you know, Neil Armstrong back in 69 walking on the moon. So, you know, those kind of things happen. Um, and I'm glad they did because I really have no other passions. Like I love baseball, but like, I wasn't going to be a baseball player. Yeah. You know, I'm like, 
Are you a Toronto kid? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Whereabouts did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in the Jane and Finch area. Mm -hmm. Um, and then uh, moved to Richmond Hill, where I live now. Um, went to McKenzie High School. Went to York University. Um, my first day at York. Uh, I, and I got into a couple of other schools. I got into uh, Ryerson and McGill and York. And the reason why I chose York is because I had seven newspapers on campus and two radio stations. So I thought, this is it. This is amazing. This is where I can get a whole bunch of free records and yeah. just writing about stuff. So, you know, that's where that's where the real part of it that's where i i i figured out what a publicist does and what a real manager does and what you know how to set up a show and all of that stuff was from those york university days it's interesting talking to someone that actually stuck with it because i i i managed djs in the early 2000s and i booked events and i threw events but i i never was with anyone long term enough to really understand the not the ins and outs of the business, but the ins and outs of what the creative mind goes through when trying to traverse both the art and the business. And that is where it gets tricky for a lot of artists, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, and that's why there's a whole industry built around um, service of the artist. The manager's job is, is to essentially do, uh, is to take a, a look and a listen to what the artist's vision is and to make it happen. Um, the booking agent is there um, to, to see where that artist should be playing at the right time, at the right moment, who the artist mm. should be opening for and not too soon. Um, but the, 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 I will tell you though, if you ever sat down with people like a Bruce Springsteen, Coldplay, Elton John, Nickelback, um, Shania Twain, um, they know exactly how this business operates. They are, they never leave anything to just their team. It's kind of like the bottom and the, and the middle of the pyramid where they're all kind of struggling to not only make money to survive, um, but find the members of their team, the publishers, the booking agency, the record label, the manager. Um, but make no mistake, those people at the very top are incredibly keenly aware of fads they're keenly aware of social media. They're keenly aware of their image. Um, and a lot of the older ones, especially the ones that have been around since the 60s and 70s and 80s, um, have seen a multitude of industries going on in just the music industry where it's gone from you know, vinyl records to cassettes to CDs to losing almost everything in terms of when Napster was around to MP3s and now to streaming, they get all of it and they have to because they can't rely on others to make them a success. So um, yeah, yeah, most people don't understand that business aspect of it, but you know, well, I mean, and there's interesting players in this too, because um, you know, the, the one guy that came to mind when you mentioned Bruce Springsteen mm -hmm. and a person that probably can straddle the trends from this late sixties, early seventies to now is a guy like Jimmy Iovine. And yeah. I respect that guy so much. And, and listen, I know that he is or Jay -Z he is now. Or, or Eminem, right? All those business men, yeah. you know, well, Jay Z well, said a lot it. of them came business, under his wing. And a lot of them came under Jimmy Iovine's wing, right? So Bruce Springsteen is savvy. He owes a lot of that to Jimmy. Eminem certainly owes a lot of that to Jimmy. Um, yeah. You know, and, and there's a lot of, uh, and what I find really interesting, I, I love that rags to riches story of a person that just didn't quit and just worked his ass off until yeah. not only did he figure out the business, but helped shape it. You know? Yeah. 
um, and, 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 you know, make no mistake and no slight to Bruce Springsteen whatsoever. Bruce Springsteen is as authentic as Dua Lipa. Um, Bruce Springsteen is as authentic as, as Lady Gaga. He practices those speeches that he does in between the songs. His look of a white shirt and jeans and standing in front of the American flag in front of born in the yeah. USA. And then that red hat out of his back, the pocket. red hat, and then getting, you know, well, falling in love mega. Get, he was well, mega yeah, before then, mega was mega. <laughs> yeah. And then falling in love with a model and then divorcing her uh, with, with Julianne Phillips and then marrying his, his now, you know, uh, amazing wife of like, I think 28 years. Um, and then he puts out tunnel of love. That mm. is a concept. That is a marketing initiative. He doesn't just do that by Bruce Springsteen putting out Nebraska after the river. The river is a double album, bombastic, loud, down the highway. Then he puts out Nebraska, which is a four track, really cassette of acoustic stuff, um, which calculated just as much as anything else is. This is calculated at Lady Gaga putting on a meat dress. You're doing it to get not only publicity and to get noticed, but you're doing it to shape the image of what you want people to 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 think about you. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the audience goes, you know, um, yeah. but but they 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 understand their audience. But those those rag to riches stories is um yeah, I mean the ones that make it are the ones that will that will do everything, everything. They are the one that will get up at six o'clock in the morning and go do television. They are the one that will go like Springsteen did from New Jersey to Los Angeles to open up for somebody because he knows it's great for his career and then drive all the way back in time for Tuesday's show in New Jersey. That's yeah. how you make it. Because if you don't do those things, that's okay. There's a hundred thousand bands waiting just yeah. for that smidgen of a chance. And so you always have to kind of look behind you and say, if I don't do this, somebody else is going to look, you know, during the pandemic with a perfect example, mm -hmm. the people that kept busy, like, let's, let's stay on the Springsteen tip for a second. Yeah. Please. He, he released a book with Obama. He had a podcast. Um, he did a couple of shows here and there. Um, they put, the, the Springsteen on Broadway um, in a big way back on television. He kept busy because even as Springsteen knows that he can't be forgotten about all of those artists. And, and I told, you know, when COVID hit back in March and April and they shut everything down, all the, you know, the NHL, um, NBA, Live Nation pulled all of their artists seemingly within 72 hours, the entire planet just stopped. And I, I went outside on my porch and I had a, a scream for about five seconds. And then I came back in and I emailed all of the artists that I was working. And I had about, you know, 20 or 30 of them. And I said, look, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if we're all going to die. I don't know if we're all going to be here in three months, um, but I'm going to still be working. And I'm going to be working seven days a week because I can't do anything else. And I don't want to do anything else. So if you guys keep, releasing music if you go acoustic on facebook if you still are able to make lyric videos um or learn how to do it i'll promote it i don't know if there's going to be a media around to care but just keep going because yeah. you're artists it's what you do to a t everybody i was working with 
continued. Now, there were a couple of them throughout COVID that like, I can tell no matter what I do, you're just not going to make it. You just don't have it in you. But that's okay because not everybody wants to make it. Not everybody's cut out for that. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I've talked about it on the podcast a few times about how it, the pandemic created... No, no, Stone, hold on a second. Stone Sea Witch. Bruce Springsteen is not MAGA. But that's no, really no, he's funny not that. MAGA. What I meant by that was this. <laughs> by, 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 the red, by the red cap. That's the, the red, red cap, cap, the American flag. I mean, if someone said to you right now, who, who really likes red caps and American flags? Everyone's going to say mega. I was just making right. a joke. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. But no, but I, on the podcast, I've talked about this many times about how there are, and, and I'm one of these people and I'm not, I, I, I'm not trying to be braggadocious, but there were, there were two kinds of people when the pandemic hit, those who complained about the pandemic and did nothing. And those oh. that just got to, got to work. And, and, and I was just one of those people that got to work when it comes to creative stuff. I feel like we are just entering right now a renaissance period in music and, and, and film and things like that because the pandemic made creative types work. That's all they had to do. Yeah. They couldn't sell it, they, so they had to work. And I think we're about to see the fruits of those labors that, that like happen right now, in, like basically now uh, and, 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 and for the next couple of years. I think we're about to hit another golden era of music. I really do. Yeah, I do too. Um... I, and, and I think partly because the access to getting your music out there is so much easier than in any other time in music history. If you were a local band from, uh, let's say, you know, Omaha, Nebraska, you would be lucky if anybody outside of your city would even know who you are. You'd have to do it through word of mouth or you get in some national press or media if you were lucky enough. But for the most part, everybody re was regional. You kind of broke, you know, if you were from New York, you played New York every day for like four months. And then if you were good and you kept your band together or you didn't crack up, if you were a solo artist, then you went to New Jersey. And then if you got great, then you went to Boston. And then you knocked down all of these major cities like bowling pins and they would mm -hmm. all fall like dominoes. Now you could be 13 years old write a song tonight and have it up on Spotify by the time that this show is ending. So that's the creative process now is that there's no, there, there's no, um, there's no bar to be had to get your music heard. The problem is that music now never leaves. We have as much easier access to find something from 1934 that was only available on a 78 record than we do with the new, you know, wet leg album, because mm. in the sixties, seventies, eighties, and nineties, at least from, you know, from my period of, of, of kind of working and being a massive music fan, if I heard something on the radio, I had to cross my fingers and pray that the record store had it, you know, and then yeah. and first of all, I had to save up enough money to buy it. And then I take a bus, go down to the record man or HMV, hope that they have it, take a bus back, unwrap it, play it on the record player or the, 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 the blaster or wherever it was. And then that's all I would be listening to because it, unless I bought something else somewhere down the road, that music from the fifties and sixties and seventies, the reason why a lot of these artists like a Neil Young, a Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, um, all of these classic artists are selling their catalog is not just I mean, A, there, there's a, a tax loophole that's going to be closing um, in the next little bit. But more importantly, they're understanding that this music is going to be up there forever. Mm -hmm. At least 
until somebody comes up with a better idea. Um, and so music is never going away. So if you are a brand new artist, if you're that 13 year old with the very first song, your competition are the Beatles. Your competition are the who and Lady Gaga yeah. and Dua and Machine awesome. Gun Kelly, because yeah. you're all after the same eyes and ears as everybody else. When before, when you and I, we were growing up, we kind of only knew what our friends told us or what our radio station had. Or if you bought Rolling Stone or Spin or Q Magazine or Mojo or whatever, that's how you found out about it. Now I can go listen to a radio station in South Africa. Yeah. You know, well, that's it's, funny. It's astounding. When you talked about how, you know, yeah, it was, it was sometimes difficult to act, uh, to, to purchase and to, uh, you know, uh, to access the, the music that you wanted, dude, I don't know if you, you if you were ever into hip hop, but in the late '80s, early '90s, we had to like send away to New York City, find an independent record store in New York City that was carrying the white label of the Boogie Down Productions album yeah. somehow, get them to send it to play to record, and then yeah. pay the bump fee from play to record so that we could go pick it up from Whitby, where I'm from, and then go play it on someone else's fucking turntable because I didn't have one. And, you know, and, I don't know why I was buying vinyl. You know? <laughs> and that's why. When I post about artists today on Twitter, about new artists that are just on the artist billboard, on the billboard artist 100 or the producers, that's why that the older people will, will just be like, it's not the same. It's not the same because the way that you consumed your music matters. It was fueled by love. It was, it was fueled by yeah. love of the music. Like, I know that sounds really corny. And, and, and really the waiting like, part of it, like, uh, you know, and, and again, like, you know, in it's high like school, Ralph, it's like Ralph from a Christmas story waiting for the Ovaltine secret decoder ring. Right. He's just every day looking in the mailbox. You know, right. Right. And when you're in high school or university or junior high, um, you know, I, I kind of went through all the different subcultures of like you know hanging out with the smoking area and the metalheads and and yeah. the pretty people and and uh, but you found out about music specifically from your peers yeah. it all changed when the blogs came along and actually curated for you stuff that your local radio station would never would never get a hold of and would never play. And so the relationship with music changed where it's become a little bit more disposable because it's so easy to just delete something off of your computer with just a click. It's like, it didn't even matter. It didn't even, it, 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 did, it, it, it wasn't even there. Um, I never, I don't think I've ever thrown out a vinyl record that I ever bought, you know, and yeah. I don't have a lot of them, but you know, it means something to me. I still have all the books that I kind of read then because it means the magazines because it, it, it mattered to me and it kind of pains me to throw out those things. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, this generation of music lovers who are eight to 18 years old are growing up in a world where um, they really don't have to save for a car because they there's Uber, um, there's Airbnbs, um, you know, for one price a la carte, you can have all the music in the world for one price a la carte. You can have seemingly every movie and every television show that ever existed at your, at, at your fingertips. So the relationship to everything changes. And that, that James is why I love this industry.
That's why I got the subscription to Billboard when I was 12, because it was never about the music. I love Depeche Mode. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I was more interested to find out why people really do love Depeche Mode. Why? Well, I hated Depeche yeah. Mode because they made me cry. But I really, really did love them because they made me cry. Right? Like but, was- but you kind of go further, right? You go down this rabbit hole of like, okay, so you were listening to somebody, the live version. Was it from 101? From that live album? Yeah. Uh, where yeah. was that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. With 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 the documentary. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, know, right? so we see Depeche Mode back then in in 1986, 87, 88. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see them with twenty thousand other people at Maple Leaf Gardens or wherever it was. Um, and then you find out that they sold out seventy five thousand tickets in Arizona. At, yeah. at at the at the Sun Arena, and then you find out through some way in Rolling Stone, or somebody tells you that they did an in store in Los Angeles um, for you know for the for that era, and they thought maybe 150 people showed up, and 15,000 people showed up, shutting down the downtown core of Los Angeles. I want to know how that happened when they weren't even playing them on the radio up in Toronto and why not? And who owns what? And so then you just go down this, this mathematical equation of like, this is fascinating because this is telling me about the, the economic side of music. They're telling me about the sociological, the psychological. So when I talk to artists now and before I even write their press release, I tell them it's really hard to write about music. Most people don't really care about what you have to say in terms of a criticism, which is why the mu- the music review is kind of dying off a little bit. Um, but what they want to know is how it makes them feel and, and where you can kind of position this album and, and why, why this music existed. I love the clash. I love the concept of the clash more. And if I need to love the concept of the clash about yeah. who they are and what they stood for, I have to know what was going on or I don't have to, but I was fascinated with what else was going on in, in London, England back in the, in the mid 1970s to make the clash happen. I feel the exact same way about the sex pistols. I feel the exact same way about the Ramones where I like the idea of what they are. That concept of those two bands speaks to me a little bit more than their music does. And that doesn't mean I don't like their music. It's just that the image of them transcended their music to me. Like it just made their music. What, um, Depeche Mode? No, uh, Yeah, you know, sort of, because when Personal Jesus came out, um, I, I, I was like, oh, th- this is really ballsy. I'm a Catholic kid. I don't think I believe in God anymore. I'm not crediting personal Jesus for making me not believe in God, but it had a small right. role. <laughs> sure. Or like blasphemous rumors, you know, yeah. that because he thinks that God has a sixth sense of humor. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. 
and thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. But boys and men look at music in a very different way than girls and teens and and women. How and, so? And there's no, because I think boys and men look at it as a way as a way to figure out where they exist in the world and where they place in the world. I think that most most people um that I at least I grew up with didn't really love if you were if you were a teenage girl, you loved music for I think very different reasons than than the guys did because the guys listened to stuff that figured out who they were as individuals. I looked at artists and it was like Depeche Mode, I want to join that gang. The Clash, I want to be them. I want to dress like them. I want to look like that. I want to take that haircut. I'm going to talk like that. I'm going to dress like them. I think with girls, they just saw music as for so many different reasons. They saw it for fun. They saw it because of the connection, but they never or love or, you know, anything like that. But I think guys were just, they they saw it as a way to connect with something that they didn't really have. And I'm not sure that that was the same um, with, with the, with the, you know, with yeah. girls and women. So when I saw Depeche Mode. almost in it for the moment then, in a way. Yeah. Like they, they, music was for the moment for a lot of women. And, well, it's, we're it's where pop music comes from. Right. You know, like it's, it's solely designed to be popular, but not everything mm -hmm. stays popular. But, you know, I, I, I think I tweeted this. There was, there, I can't remember, but there, there was something going on. I, I, I think I know what it was. It was just around the time that, it was around the time that I think Chris Brown was getting into some serious hot water with, with his physical abuse of yeah. what he did to Rihanna. And there was a lot of women that came out um, calling for a ban on Chris Brown on radio stations and so forth. And, and, and I think I tweeted out something in the neighborhood of, of, you know, once the music industry stops listening to women, it's over. It's over. Yeah. Cause women yeah. control the music industry for the most part. Um, they control popular music. They control, you know, who gets deemed cool and sexy, like a Rod Stewart or a Mick Jagger or the Beatles or Machine Gun Kelly. They, right. it's not the guys that are really doing that. You know, the guys That's have. Interesting. A, it, I've never it, heard it, anyone put it like that before. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I could just, I could be talking out of my ass. So if I am, you can send <laughs> all emails to Ashley Lindy. Who, um, who, no, I'm only kidding. No, she's our moderator. So she, I know. Already, she already deals with all of it anyway. Um, you know, I want to get Ashley, back to we the, love you. Thank you for hanging out. Oh, right? Ashley's dope. She's, she's, she's awesome. Um, I, there is, uh, I want to get back to the nostalgia thing just for a moment because, um, and, and it's kind of, it, it sort of encapsulates a lot of what you've just been saying as well. Because, uh, when I, uh, I think I was 18, I went out west live with my uncle in bc and work in the forest let's put it that way um but before i left the girl that had broken up with me it's always about a girl with me um the girl that had broken up with me about six months prior came over to my house knew i was going away wanted to sleep with me and i said no because i didn't want the lingering effect of a heartbreak kind of feeling ruin my trip and it was the first time i had ever like been that guy and then when I went there, I listened 
religiously to two albums. Um, one of them was August and Everything After by yeah, County Crows. Crows. And the other one was Just Over This Mountain by Sky Diggers. And those two albums were just the only thing I listened to for about four months. And I'm telling you, the growth that I went through there was either seriously stunted by this music or seriously enhanced by it. And I still don't really know the answer. But needless to say, they were the soundtracks of my of, of my life at that time. Um, 15 years later, I'm in um, the Duke of York in uh, like Yorkville area, whatever, St. George and Bloor kind of thing. And uh, I'm sitting at the bar. And my buddy was the bartender there. And there, there's a guy beside me. And... Uh, my buddy's like, oh, do you hear what's on right now? And I listened, and it was um, uh, uh, Pull Me Down by Skydiggers. And I was like, oh, yeah. And him and I started singing. And then the guy next to us starts laughing. And I look over, and I'm like, I'm like, don't laugh at the song, man. This was like the soundtrack of my life. He's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I told him the whole story or whatever. Anyways, it was Andy Mays, lead singer of the Skydiggers. That's right? hilarious. And do talk to me like, and I wanted to talk to him about it, but I didn't want to do it in a way that was all like fanboyish or whatever. He'll probably so just I, he'll probably just tell you that it was written about his dog, right? Well, I, didn't completely... what, <laughs> I didn't even want to know what what his inspiration right, was. Right. I wanted to tell him how Smart. important his music was, but I didn't want to sound like that guy. So I bought him a beer, and I told him anyways, and I was just like, "Listen, I'm, just, I'm I'll make it quick. I went out west. This album, August, and everything after." It like it's what I listened to the whole time. I still get goosebumps thinking about it. And he just looked at me and he's like, uh, and he slid my because you know this was like a ten minute conversation. He slid a beer because he bought me a beer and he slid it across the counter and he's just like, this conversation is why is what we think of when we play yeah. these songs twenty years later. We want it. We want to have these conversations. Don't worry about it. And we cheers and that was that. And now I'm just like you know. I, I know what it's like to be on this side as a fan or as a consumer of music and what that nostalgia feels like. As a person who's been around all of these bands, all of these artists and musicians in one aspect or another, has have they ever communicated to you the feeling that they get when someone explains to them the meaning of, that they experience because of their album? Does that ever happen or do they take it for granted? I... I I think artists love to hear that, but I think that they hear it so often that sometimes it gets a little bit watered down in their mind. It would be like if mm -hmm. 50 people came up to you every day saying, James, your show, man, it's really, really good. And every single day for 20 years, you hear yeah. that around the 15th year, you might be like, thanks. As opposed 18th. to 18th. Maybe 18th. Oh, right, right, right. Maybe <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like we yeah. would never get tired of hearing. Um, but uh, about halfway through your life, you're you're just like that's a you know, maybe the the thank you just mm. becomes like thanks. You know, it's really good to hear because everything just blends in together. However, artists have really bad days just as much as we do, and sometimes when yeah. they realize that they haven't made any money or that they can't get their master recordings back or that they're just frustrated with the way that the industry is or COVID. They need to be reminded sometimes of why they were doing it in the first place. Yes, it was the sex. Yes, it was the drugs. Yes, it was the money. But it was really all about connecting, especially the first time when you realized that somebody actually listened to your song and, and was, and got it. 
Um, there, there, there's a couple of times a year where I post on Twitter. Um, don't forget to thank a musician today, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know what, why don't you do it now at a musician? And you just want to say, thank you. Um, I get about 10,000, 12,000 responses to that, but it's wild to see pretty much most of the musicians are responding back to these people. You know, really? I remember there was one that stood out. Somebody wrote something about Peter Frampton and um was it a simpsons reference i hope <laughs> yeah no no it was it would I, I i'm pretty sure it was peter frampton or oh you know who it was it was sean cassidy that's oh, a wow. 70s reference okay yeah. so then they so she told the story that when she was a kid she bought all the sean cassidy albums she bought all the 16 in tiger beat and team b magazine um and when when sean cassidy came into concert um her mother wouldn't let her go and and he never came again because then he kind of semi-retired and then he went off to the film and tv world where he's pretty hugely successful at it so she saw the tweet and she at sean cassidy uh and told the story and sean cassidy responded and said that you know some of the neighborhood like that's so amazing like thank you so much um and i knew it was genuine because you know people don't have to respond back to to twitter they're like celebrities they don't have to do anything um and but the fact that Sean Cassidy responded, that's why I asked those those silly questions on Twitter about music is because when you add somebody, you're actually kind of revealing not only something about yourself, which is fun to know. You know, I'm not scraping data. I don't really care about anything <laughs> at the end of the day, except for my work and my family. But other than that, it, it was it was cool to see people like Cameron Crowe come in the come in the conversation because somebody had at him um, or, you know so so many artists that day it was just like watching you know the mention just kind of blow up but artists artists are really a sensitive bunch you know they're very self-conscious they're they're very stereotypically not all there sometimes in terms yeah. of holding it all in and getting their shit done and they're not they're not perfect you know they're far from it they the most of the time the reason why I found out that they are artists in the first place was because they had no friends. They had nobody yeah. except for their, their little, you know, their little kind of team and their gang to form a band. Or if you were solo, it was because you didn't know anybody else to play with or that you were so stubborn and so laser focused that it was impossible to be your friend because you were so focused on creating music. They wrote those songs because they were looking at themselves from the outside in, like they were circling around like an out of body experience. Like Adele is really great at that is explaining what her feelings are from a, and, and writing the song so that everybody else in the world can understand it. Fleetwood Max rumors. You know, there's, there's yeah. one for the, uh, you know, for the, for all those people on the right hand side talking about Fleetwood Mac, you know, mm -hmm. you don't have to have gone through a breakup to understand Fleetwood Max rumors, but it helps. Yeah, And they were writing that from within, not even having a clue that 40 million people, 100 million people would go and say, wow, that's, I was so screwed up. I was just as fucked up as you were when you wrote that song. That's why those compliments matter to them. And that's because they're, they, they're still, they still crave that. Look, if they didn't crave that attention and going out on stage in front of 55,000 people, they'd stop. 
But around eight o'clock, they kind of get that pang of, I want to be loved by the yeah. entire free world, you know, <laughs> even if it is James at the, you know, at the Duke buying yeah. somebody a beer, you know? And you know what, what you were saying before about the timeliness that's that people have, like the, in, the intentionality of releasing music after certain things happen in our society or in our world and how, how that can be hit or miss sometimes. Um, when I think of grunge music or when I think of Nirvana, and I remember being in grade nine and 10 and being depressed was like a fucking sport back then. Like it really like, it was almost like, you know, like I I'm always hearkening back to the Simpsons, but it's like, you know, um, the guy turns to the other guy and he's like, are you, are you being sarcastic, man? He's like, I don't even know anymore, man. Like that was basically the tagline of the early nineties. Right. Like, yeah. and, and so Nirvana came out and let's be honest. Like, I mean, I like their music. I like, I like their albums. They weren't a complex musical aficionado band. They were a very uh, sad version of the Ramones in a lot of ways. They were three people. They were just doing their thing. But it struck a chord because of when it came out. Yeah. And and I when the pandemic happened and all of those celebrities didn't have anything better to do and they tried to come out with that Imagine thing and it fell flat and no one liked it, I was sitting there and I was like, and, and, and I, I sort of want to ask you this question in a way, like, you know, when I saw that, I was like, these are famous people who don't know how to maintain their fame during this pandemic. And they are grossly overestimating how famous they are, how 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 much we want to hear from them right now. And more and more the latter, more the latter. They yeah. didn't have any idea that at that moment in time, nobody cared what a celebrity had to say because we weren't all in this together. That's right. There were very wealthy people that had a much better way to get through COVID than 99.9% .9 of the world, which is no different than on a daily basis where we do listen to what they have to say. But COVID was different, mm -hmm. you know, but they still crave like the attention because they, they couldn't do anything. You take an actor's camera away who's going to listen to them who's going to watch them who's going to tell them they're great nobody that's why they did that video well listen i i think music is 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 something that is going to be um i i think like i said i think we're heading into another renaissance age another golden age of music but i think that the celebrity itself just the celebrity and red carpets and um celebrity sponsoring things I feel like that's lost its luster in a lot of ways. I I, I don't know if we're going to go back fully to what it was like pre-pandemic. Like I, I I don't know because I'm not I don't follow it. But that new Kardashian show is that going to be as big as the old one? Because I feel like it's not going to be, and I'm kind of happy about that. I don't know. You know, maybe I'm a the, cynic. The red carpet thing is interesting because you know, what COVID has kind of taught us is that there's some very important things in this life that maybe we've neglected. Family, friends, animals, food, shelter, clean water, things that we never really kind of had to focus on as a community and as a country and as a, as a planet, um, in the, not in the same way as when COVID hit. Um, and the one thing that, that all those award shows saw was a, a pretty big dip in ratings at least anywhere between five and twelve percent whether it was the grammys or the golden globes or the oscars and primarily because we just didn't feel connected to those people anymore and really didn't care about what they wore when we're just all struggling to find something to do over the next six hours um mm. 
I like to say that I, I don't think that they're coming back, but I do think that they're going to come back because there's a whole ecosystem that is involved in that kind of world. The eco, the, the people that would be watching the red carpet and kind of, you know, screaming to themselves over what somebody was wearing or who looked good or who looked like crap. You can now just go on Instagram and TikTok and make a video and become your own celebrity for it. So without the red carpet, you may not have that kind of, uh, the, that kind of chatter and that kind of talking, um, and failing that it will take at least a year or two, I think for the big giant media magazines and the, and the, the daily shows and the things that are looking for topical news all the time. Um, it's going to take them a little bit of time before they realize that nobody cares about this stuff. And I'm not saying that they don't now, but if there's only 50,000 people that are going to be watching the Grammys next year, as opposed to, you know, 10 million i don't know how fast the rest of the the system will ignore something like the grammys and look the grammys are never going to have you know but you can say that with the super bowl the super bowl is just some giant you know massive show and if you don't like the super bowl then you can say wow you know i think covid really kind of brought this you know the attention away from the super bowl nobody really cares about it for whatever reason but with like six trillion dollars worth of free advertising that the media gives that show, it's going to take them a while to realize that if they post about it, they won't have any readers. Right. The Kardashian thing is interesting because the ratings is only one smidgen of one part of one very tiny whole process of them. You know, the show drives everything else that they make way more money and get much more fame doing it. Um, yeah. That show could be on the smallest cable channel, but it's still, it's still one of the bases for their existence. So they can go and post it's, yeah, their sponsor it's a vehicle on Instagram. For, fashion, it's a vehicle for sure. For everything. Else. Yeah. For everything. yeah. Um, I want to turn the tables on you a little bit and ask you um, if you recall, uh, like the let, let's. I, I'm I'm just making this up off the top of my head, but I I want to find the nostalgia inside Eric, aka Paul McCartney. Um, do you have a memory of like a slow dancing to a certain song in like grade eight during your graduation? Oh yeah, like it, that? it's "You Lost Your Love and Feeling" by the Righteous Brothers. Really? I had I had a crush on on a girl that everybody in the whole class loved. I knew I didn't have a shot in hell of anything whatever you do in grade eight um and that was the dance that was the last dance of the classroom kind of prom that we did uh and i'm still in touch with this with this now woman who oh, yeah. um has grown up to be amazing um and uh um but yeah that song is absolutely it right back into it one tenth of a second i'm back wearing you know my lumberjack shirt and and torn jeans and grebs like in the middle of like june you make me feel like movies are so important as a vehicle for a lot of this nostalgia because i didn't know that the song stand by me existed until the movie stand by me came out right i didn't know that the, that's okay the yeah i didn't bad. know that the song lean on Look, me existed. There, there's 45 million people this month that realize that kate bush exists because of stranger things that's how we find out about music now right yeah yeah, no, well, that's how I found out about music even back then, like in the 80s. You know, like yeah. um, like the Righteous well, Brothers, all, that, yeah, that was all, Ghost, all the soundtrack. Right? That was Ghost. Yeah. And, yeah, and Ghost, by the way, just not for it to be a multifaceted vehicle of um, passion for James, 
made me like women with short hair. I don't know. I just, as soon as I saw it, I was like, well, this is different and I like it. I can see her neck. Like this. Yeah. Jen, Jen in the chat has it absolutely perfectly. Movie transacts were a music gateway. They, yeah. they were, they were gateways to everything. You bought all the John Hughes, or at least I did. I bought all the John Hughes film oh God, soundtrack, yeah. like Pretty in Pink and 16 Candles. It's where yeah. I found out about Echo and the Bunnymen and the Smiths and New Order. And That's that right. was like the music of my life. Um, and yeah, I don't care. I don't care where people listen to music. I don't care how they listen to music. I don't care where they. I don't care where they first found out about it. I just want them to continue to love music. Yeah, That's a lot of dope shit now comes from the first time I hear it is on commercials, right? You know, and that might be sad for some people, but it, it's a very big difference when uh, Rolling Stone sells a song for a commercial, and some band you've never heard of is helping to launch a product on the back of their amazing song and you don't even know who the artist is. That is to me, I mean, I don't know. That's, honey, that's you... because you're old. Oh, is that like, what it is? That is you, you strictly, you know, going back to Nirvana, you strictly played into a hole that I did and that everybody did, which was corporate sponsorship was bad. And and yep. and commerciality was bad, except for the ones that kind of slid through, like ACDC or or Paul McCartney or or Springsteen or whoever else it was. But now you're nothing unless you have your unless your music is is in a commercial. Not nothing, but no, it's no. A, but it's where you know what changed it when Moby released his play album. Yeah. His record label said that there's no singles on this record, and we're going to be lucky to sell about two hundred fifty thousand copies. Moby was a pretty big EDM DJ at the when he put this out. So Moby came up with the idea of just licensing the play album to every everybody that almost wanted it. Every single yeah. song on that album was licensed to some film, which helped them sell 12, 13, 14, 15 million albums still to this day that it, it's one, you know, it's one of the biggest catalog sellers out there. Um, but that was, that's where people started to say, look, if radio doesn't do what I want them to do, which is play new music or play my kind of music and TV isn't holding up a mirror to who we were, because I don't understand Beverly Hill, you know, 90210. I'm not seeing it. Nirvana is, soundtracks are um and so why not try to find different ways and different methods to get your music out there which is what a lot of artists have to do i think that's a really good point and i think that the um the best example that i can think of is when i was i was managing electronic music djs uh in in the early 2000s and people that's um, where we know one another Oh, is it? Let Let's talk off the air because I did all the PR for Moonshine artists like Carl Cox and DJ Dan and okay, Anabolic yeah. Frolic. There we go. Well, we, brought in, we were the first guys to bring in Tiesto. We were the first guys to bring yeah. in um, uh, Orchidea and Sasha and Digweed and all that kind of stuff. Um, and but people in 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 rock and roll and people in hip hop even were like, "How much did Tiesto get paid for that last gig?" And we were like, "150 fifty grand." Yeah. And if you went and asked a hundred people if they knew who Tiesto was back then. Is there like uh, one percent? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's and the so, same now. That, but that's, that's interesting, so different right? Now. That's that's like at that precipice, at the apex of change between yeah. analog and tech. 
and all of these artists that were kind of underground but getting paid more than a lot of pop acts were getting paid it was such a neat dichotomy like i, I you know and i don't think a lot of people really understand or appreciate how different it was back then it it, it, it was but and those numbers are almost the same if i were to stop 100 people and ask them to sing me a drake song i bet you 97 of the 100 wouldn't be able to maybe hotline bling most yeah. people because because we're also fragmented Right. And so Bad Bunny, who is the single biggest selling artist of 2022, I bet you there's absolutely nobody in my circle that has heard a Bad Bunny song. Um, and I've got a pretty diverse circle. Uh, we're older, um, but it's not like we're all watching much music and or MTV or we're all buying the same 15 albums because that's what radio is and that's what Rolling Stone is writing about, or whoever. It's so diverse now where that's where you end up with the economy that we're all in of the, the top 1% making a lot of money uh, in the music industry. And like the other 99% are just kind of, you know, struggling and, and doing okay, but certainly, you know, maybe not enough that they're, that they might be happy with. Um, but it, it's funny because the, it's almost like the more things change, the more they stay the same, but there's little kind of tweaks that, that change everything right you know all these mm -hmm. different subcultures will always still be around because that's just that's just who we are as human beings we just want to connect with people well i'm glad i was able to connect with you um me um, too I, this was a lot this of fun gone by really quickly for me um I, and i never stopped liking you the whole time which is rare for a guest um me too I'm yeah. sick of hearing myself talk. Yeah, me too. I I'm just want to talk to Ashley and DaCosta and Stone Sea Witch and and all those amazing people that are on the right hand side. I've been watching them. Yeah. You know. Dude, I could have them on right now. You want to have them on? They could all click in right now just for fun for five minutes. Yeah, you come on in. All right, guys. I, I, somebody, I can't remember who. Whoever wants to come in, do, click that. Do we, have, in. do we have time for this? Are yeah, we going we over? Minutes. That's fine. I don't oh, know. Okay. Fine. So yeah. somebody posted about nine inch nails. I think yes. that might have been Jen. Was that Jen that she met him? Somebody and, click those links, guys. I, I, we want your faces in here. Just and do it. Somebody James, I'm in the bath. <laughs> All the better reason. Um, <laughs> there's somebody posted there about the they think that Trent Reznor picked them for a photo because they were both short. Oh. at the time and it makes Trent Reznor look bigger. Um, if you look, I, I'll leave you with this because yeah. I, I love this kind of stuff. Um, if you look at a picture of U2, the band U2, you will see that Bono is always in the front yeah, and or he's crouching. And the way that they position the camera that he might be six feet in front of the edge and Larry and, and, uh, uh, and, and the band um, on a diagonal. So that while he might be standing up straight, he's actually taller than the edges in photos. Oh, that's hilarious. So well, I, lo I love that kind of stuff. Those are the little kind of details I love about the music industry. Yeah. You, well, we can't all be like um, uh, the guy from Tool who just wears his short. Right, proudly, right? Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Imposing. Hey, listen, yeah. man, it, it was so good to finally meet you. Um, yeah, I have a feeling that, that, we, that we could be hanging out in real life after, uh, after all this is done. Thanks to all, all the... Oh, there's there. someone that's trying to get in. Should we let him say hi? Let's all those, say hi. all those people on the on the oh, right David. hand side. Thanks for hanging out. Oh, hey, David. Yeah, all the, all David the is David okay. is wearing a I I, I what, what love that shirt. What cafe? Oh, you know, is that the the bicycle cafe shirt? It's a bicycle cafe shirt from Canmore. 
Yeah, but it's obviously it's a play on the uh, Joy Division album. That's the man I want to meet, right? Yeah, I, I know <laughs> probably he's cool with the music and he likes bikes and watch. I'm gonna be both wrong. He's gonna love classical music and he drives the most expensive gas guzzler in his city. <laughs> well, he drives a FedEx truck, which is probably the most. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's a gas guzzler. Yeah, it's a gas. Talk guzzler. about corporate sponsorships. How is your driving your FedEx truck? <laughs> Okay. I just wanted to try and say, yeah, I was a huge fan of uh, Depeche Mode growing up. Huge fan. Had all the tapes. Let me ask you two a question because you're both fans. When you found out that Fletcher passed away this this year, did it not kind of freak you out how much, how sad you were? And and look, Fletcher was the accountant. You you know what I mean? Like Like he didn't really play an instrument per se. I, I was. I was kind of devastated for about three days. Yeah. And he it, wasn't the, yeah. He's not the lead singer. He's not, you know, but I, it was kind of like, Oh, this is, this is my people. You know? Yeah. I, I'm going to be, can I be, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't know he passed away until you just said it. Okay. Yeah. That's your by the way. Sorry to break it to you. Listen, listen, uh, you know, I, 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 they made me cry when I was young and then I, I, now I listen to hip hop. <laughs> There you go. I don't keep up with the music. Listen, Eric, this is your this is your realm. I'm sorry. I feel like I've ruined the interview now because I didn't know that. No, don't worry about it. David, where about are you now? I'm in Toronto. Uh, are you? Okay, cool. Yes. Well, thanks for thanks for hanging out on Black. Ball. Yeah, you know, it was a it was a great show. It was, it was really enjoyable listening to you guys and then talking about, you know, seeking out music and how great that was, the experience, the adventure of, you know, going downtown to find that record, you know, to bring it oh, home. Yeah. <laughs> and if, when you were a Depeche Mode fan, you went broke. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. I spent like, a lot of money. Here's another remix. Here's another what? box set. Yeah. Why was yeah. it $23 for a cassette for Depeche Mode? Is this at import prices? Is that what? Is that is that the only reason? <laughs> That's, if, yeah, you know what? I remember because it was late, I guess early 90s. I wanted to get all the early stuff in the early 80s, like construction time again. And it was really hard to find those tapes. I had to send away for them. But yeah, we, like, like you said, thirty bucks probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And but when you got those, you listened to them. You knew you, every song. You listened to every song through. You knew every like hiss, every crackle on that tape. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you Did you ever go to the clubs during that time? Like, do, are you Are you from Toronto? Well, I'm just from out. Uh, originally, I grew up outside of Toronto. Okay. Um, I, I I don't know if this is gonna happen to both of you, but I'll tell you to do some. I'll if you haven't, and then I'll go. Um. On Spotify or whatever your your music of choice is, um, all the remixes for Depeche Mode are on there. Um, oh, wow. Everything from oh, there, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of official remixes because when Depeche Mode put out "People Are People" on CD or on cassette, they filled up the time with like seven different other remixes of it. Go listen, and it will put yeah. you right back into when you were seventeen. Certain oh, remixes are like New Order is like that for me. Like the long version of Shell Shock. That's Club Z for me in Toronto. Yeah. That's the Twilight Zone in Toronto. Right back into it. So hopefully, yeah. you know, hopefully we turned a couple of people that go listen and to their record well, or vinyl or cassette or whatever they want. I will, Eric. Thank you, man. I, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Um, thank you for your time, and um, we'll see each other on Twitter. Oh, and by the way, I don't mind telling you that if you um, if you retweet this broadcast, a lot more people will watch it. I don't know why people get all fucked up about asking guests to retweet shit. No, yeah, you you have to ask. No, No, you have to ask. There's whole articles about this shit. Nothing happens. You really ask. Is it? It's a proper etiquette. I'm like, what? 
Exactly. All right. James, great to see you. Great talk to you, David. Thanks for hanging out. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'll see you later, guys. That was Eric Alper. Stay for a second, Dave. So, Dave, um, a lot of people might not know, you are the cowboy from the stepmother episode of uh, of Blackbolt. That's Where's right. The cowboy hat, and um, and why do you look so much tougher right now than you ever have in your life? That's <laughs> <laughs> because I'm unshaven. <laughs> okay. Are you at home? I am at home. Your ceiling's dope. I didn't realize you had like such an industrial looking ceiling. It's like uh, what do they call that? Yeah, that's Steam my dock work. It looks steampunk, like steampunk. I live in steampunk. I live on the set of a steampunk video. Yeah, yeah. All right, buddy. Well, thanks for dropping in. Um, come up and visit sometime. You know, sometime. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You driving under a tunnel? <laughs> yeah. Is that was happening. Yeah, you can't get me out of my bunker. Oh, okay. I know. I'm just okay. Yeah, I would love to. It was All good right, seeing buddy. you. Great show, and I'll talk to you good soon. Seeing you. Okay, bud. That was my friend Dave. Um, because all the harem was too chicken shit to actually come into uh, to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate that. Someone was in their jammies. That would have been dope. Someone was in a tub. That would have been dope. But nope. You guys just stayed there in your tubs, in your fucking goddamn, I don't know, Snoopy pajamas. DaCosta with his soccer sweat or whatever the fuck. DaCosta, that's really disappointing. Like, dude. You could have nipple clamps on and you should be up in here, but whatever. No, I'm just playing. Um, I wouldn't do it either. Uh, but I'd like to thank Eric Alper again. Uh, he's so interesting. Um, the dude's been around. He knows everything. He's like an idiot savant about music. He's just fucking, he just knows everything. We clearly have the same barber, which is awesome. Um, so yeah. Anyways, uh, as far as music goes, I don't have anyone booked yet for Monday, but that's probably going to change. But on Tuesday, Canadian hip-hop living legend as i like to call him from halifax classified will be on the show um he just did a whole acoustic album called retrospected and it's about it's it's got a bunch of a whole a whole bunch of tracks on it from back in the day that he did but if you guys really want to know what this cat's all about you should listen to uh, a song from the album called growing pains hi hi I, oh my god you look like the girl from the ring did you just step out of a television? I put a shirt on for this, so you just be nice, okay? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I don't know if I can. <laughs> Did you enjoy the show? Eric's dope, eh? Did you know who he was before I yeah, had him on? Yeah, that was delightful. Did you know who uh, of him? Did you know of him before I had him on? No, I didn't. No. An excellent taste in music. Yeah. Yeah, he's like he's yeah. a genius. Um, and he and he's so good at what he does. He's a great follow too. That Eric Alper is his Twitter. He's great. I love. You can uh, go now. Yeah, I think I'm gonna have. Oh, oh, oh. okay. It was good. To <laughs> well, you see. don't look really happy to be here. You're like, oh fuck, I'll just fucking do it. So he'll shut up. And now I'm just like, well, I'll you, shut up. you said the harem, and I was like, you know what? One of us should represent. So, right. um, you know, got myself out of the tub for you, bud. Plus, you have a big night ahead of you. It's only 5.10 in uh, Edmonton, and you got to keep on making sure that your man is still with us because apparently he's already had a 2-4 by noon. Um, I have to wake up by about 20 after 5 tomorrow morning because oh, wow. I figured if I'm going to be all alone, I might as well pick up some overtime and kill some time. Yeah, he's going to have to die on his own time. You have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Yeah, like if he calls, I just I might not be available. So Army Chris has some medical training. Do you have an ally there that's like 
Do you have an ally there that will keep an eye? Is Lachlan like your go-to? Because Lachlan seems like he, he can hold his liquor. You don't have an ally, eh? Okay. No. Well, no, I don't. What? I'm just. I them. Okay. <laughs> well, good luck. All I'm right. right. I might be a widow soon. We'll see how it goes. Either way, I'm, I'm open. You know, I wish him the best. Yeah. Well, if you're a widow, I mean, sure there's a, someone in the harem that could take his place. Um, you know, Rhea. Oh, I don't know what your name is to this day. Rhiannon. Yeah. Rhiannon. She's been making eyes. Yeah. So I think. Uh... <laughs> Jen's mine. If she gets, becomes a widow, then I'm taking Jen. So we'll have to figure it out. We'll put names in a hat. Uh, okay. Oh, that would be fair. That Because I would hate to actually have, have to choose. Yeah, I know. I know. I don't want anyone to die. <clears throat> so, anyway. uh, yeah, either do okay. Why? I yeah. All right. No. No okay. names in everybody. Okay, Have guys. A great day. Uh, thank so you nice. for dropping by, Ashley. You're a trooper. I really appreciate it. I'm sorry that I made you crawl out of the TV for this. <laughs> <laughs> You're an you look like the girl from the ring when your hair was all in front of your face. Sorry. See, like I'm I'm about to get killed and crash into a bookshelf. Okay. Night, <laughs> Goodbye, <friend>. Ashley. <laughs> That's it for me, everybody. I'm sorry I dragged it on a little bit so long, and I'm still going to remove her like that. Um, okay, so yeah, classified on Tuesday. Uh, Karima on Thursday. Going to fill in the blank somehow between now and then. Thank you, everybody, for joining, and we'll see you next time on Blackball. Blackball. Hey listeners, I'm Christy and I'm Melissa and this is Buried Motives where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.